my brother would just introduce me to black powerful people who, and I would read like Martin Luther King books, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, just all these books and books and books. And I would just, just read, 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 play basketball all day. No girls, no anything. I was just totally focused. And that's how I, you know, got my life back together. If you're deciding where to raise a family, Flint, Michigan is probably the last place on your mind. Many remember Flint from when the city's water supply made headlines in 2016. High levels of lead were found in the tap water, leading to a federal state of emergency. But the city was poisoned in a number of ways, not just the water. I was born in Park Villa, which is nicknamed Killer Villa. It's a project in Flint, Michigan, and um, I grew up in a tough environment. And um, yeah, it was a lot. But Omar McGee's story proves that where you're born doesn't define you. Today, he shares his life journey on this episode of Kaval. Blankenship with Douglas Elliman Real Estate sponsored this episode of Kava the Podcast. Connie believes that it is more important than ever to inspire people to take action and give those with a voice the right platform to be heard. We need more sponsors like Connie. So if you're interested in a sponsorship, please contact us through our website, kavapodcast.com. My father was amazing, amazing. Um, he was a great role model, which I didn't understand at the time. But, you know, after I got my life together mm. and created, you know, some type of guideline and sort of light at the end of the tunnel, right. you know, he was very instrumental in helping me stay on course with what I need to do in life. And so who was in your family of origin who lived in your home with you? Um, well, my, I'm the baby of eight. Whoa. <laughs> if you don't mind me going, going back a little bit no. to give you a little No, that's awesome. Backstory. Yeah. Okay. I'm the baby of eight. The youngest one of them is nine years older than me. So I always tease my father like I was a mistake. <laughs> um, but my family was doing really well before I was born. Um, my mother, she became um, addicted to alcohol. Okay. And... Um, that's when I was born and my mother and father separated. She took all the businesses from my dad and kind of blew all the money. And I was um, born and when I started remembering things, we were in the projects. I mean, I hear all these great stories of how amazing my mother and father were together. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's when I um, started developing myself. And when she took everything from my father, he began to, you know, he had to start all over again, develop the business. And wow. at the same time, pay child support for so many ch- children. And wow. yeah, it was, it was a struggle. I am so sorry. That's <laughs> okay. It's like it was two different families. Well, it was one family for me. <laughs> right, but but your siblings had a very different upbringing. Yeah, definitely, definitely, oh, definitely. Wow. Totally different. Which they had it rough, too, because they were in the midst of um, the divorce, so they mm. saw a lot. And um, But, you know, I never saw my mother and father together. Oh, wow. Okay. So did you live with your mom or your dad? So that's an interesting question. Now I have to come up with it. This, so 
my mom, obviously, she had the cool house in the neighborhood, all the drunks and pimps and everybody would come over her house because everybody can drink and have fun. And it started like nine o'clock in the morning. So I have five sisters and two brothers. So all of them was kind of dropping out of school, trying to find their own lives. Some of them were having kids at the time. And um, my father wanted to get my sisters away Mm -hmm. from all the chaos obviously around pimps and bums you know it's just only bad things can happen right and uh i remember he bought a dollar house in a dollar house if you don't mind me explaining really quick oh yeah absolutely a dollar house was something that the city had came up with to give um the community a chance to rebuild itself because you know shops were closing and the, the community was going down like really really fast okay so they were selling properties for like a dollar just but Oh, my goodness. Yes, but the thing was, you had to stay in the house for over two years. You couldn't just buy it, develop it, and sell it. You had to stay in it. They was trying to keep the community in one place and try to keep the community up. Okay. But this dollar house was actually a dollar house. It was terrible. I mean, when I tell you terrible, I mean terrible. I mean, it was no running water. I mean, we had to have an electric um, heater. I mean, not not electric heater, electric stove that we was open up and just turn on high for heat and it was tough it was tough like i would wake up in the morning and steal water from other people's faucet and bring oh, it back wow. home to flush the toilets it was it was really really rough living and not to talk about when the winter yes unbelievable right right so the flip side to that story to answer your question i stayed with my mom a lot more because my mom was on welfare and all her bills were paid even though the environment was rough I can deal with that. And my father really wasn't tripping because of my age and I was young mm-hmm. and I was a boy. Okay. Um, he felt that I could handle myself in that environment temporarily. But in reality, it took its toll on me because at that age, you don't understand when you go to school, kids are teasing you because you don't have a change of clothes. and. It's a lot of things you wasn't learning, and I was able to lie to my mom and tell her I was in school when I was really skipping. Oh, wow. Um, How old I, were you when you started skipping? This is elementary. Oh, this my is really, really early. Yeah, this was really, really early. It was really, really early. Um, and it wasn't like I was just a bad kid. Like, right. This is, this is things that people need to understand about the community. It's always... You know, why would he do this? It's a reason people make these decisions, yeah. right? And it starts early. Yeah. Right. Right. And um, it wasn't that I wanted, I didn't want to go to school. It's just I didn't want to go to school and get teased because I didn't have a change of clothes. And I was wearing the same thing over and over again and, you know, and those things. So um, I started skipping and um, I would come home to my mom and she would say, how you doing in school? I am doing great. And she would lie for me because she didn't want my dad to take me like she took the rest of the kids. Right. Uh-huh. I was the only thing she had. So. I just, I just, it became a habit and I got into the streets and started stealing car radios and everything to help feed the family. And, you know, I just didn't understand. I didn't have, I didn't understand why I didn't have. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. And then I had to learn the hard way of why you shouldn't be in the streets doing mischievous things. (laughs) And, And so you're a young child when all of this is happening. Yes. Very young. Oh, my stars. And so how did you know how to do that, to take a car radio? Um, at that time, um, it was easy because we had this thing called car 
it was the it was the pull out radios. You can pull it. Okay. It was the big thing to walk around the streets with the car radio in your hand and all of that stuff. So, you know, people on the streets would pay me to go take car radios. And I was a little kid, quick. Right. Um, obviously, if I got caught, it was just, you know, a slap on the hand. I couldn't get a felony. I was too young. So it was just, it was easier for me to do it than anyone else. But as a kid, what you don't realize is you're gaining a reputation mm. for the go-to guy to steal a radio. Right. But you also gain a re- reputation that when my radio is gone, I know who to go get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't understand that. And I remember the day um, I was getting like $30, $40 a radio oh, wow. uh, from the drug dealers. And I would go home and give it to my sisters and brothers. They didn't know where the money was coming from. Um, and sometimes didn't ask. Right. Ignored it. Um, and I remember it was a new radio that came out, which was a detachable face. And you just had to take the front of the face. I don't even know if you remember this, but you had to take the, you can take the, instead of taking the whole radio out, you can take just the front face out. Okay. Um, and uh, this sounds so crazy right now. I'm speaking of this, but you got to mind you, I was in elementary school. So. I'm impressed that you knew how to do that in elementary school. Well, those, those are some understand, skills. Understand too, my father had a bumping paint shop and I had, to learn how to work on cars as well. Like my, in my spare time when I was with my dad, that's what we had to do, help him get his business back going. So okay. that, was, that was a part of it. Okay. So, um, wow. And your dad had, he had car dealerships. He had the oldest standing business in Flint for 45 years. Is that right? Yes. So this, before my mom's, um, before they divorced and then after. But that after part was like rebuilding. Okay. Like my adolescence years. It was rebuilding to that point. Because he was, I mean, my dad got to the point where he was sleeping on his friend's couch. It was that bad. Oh, my she goodness. Took, can you imagine, like, taking everything, losing everything in court, and she takes all the money, and you have to pay child support on top of that. And then you have to start a business again, and you have to get the kids out of a bad environment in a dollar house. So I understood what he was going through. I didn't understand at the time. Let me right. not say that. Right. At the time, I didn't. Right, and your and your dad was originally from Arkansas. Yes. Okay, and where did your parents meet? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. I was so far. I don't know where they met. I don't know where they met, but because she was from Flint and he was from Arkansas, I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I guess they came up and he came up and got a job, start party, okay. and they met. But okay. <laughs> that's okay. the only way I know. I don't know. <laughs> I never asked that question to be honest. So at some point, your dad was able to reestablish himself. Yes, but by that time, I had to reestablish myself because you have to understand I wasn't in school. So imagine all those years of not being in school. (laughs) It was like, what? You know, it was that type of thing. So after my mom died, so it was a crazy story. So back to the radio, just to give you a little context of this. The radio thing really, like, gave me a clear understanding of most kids get on punishment and learn lessons. Right. The streets taught me my lesson, like okay. in a harsh, harsh way. For example, was still in those radio, the detachable face, the biggest, one of the biggest drug dealers in Flint, Michigan got the detachable face. Another drug dealer paid me double my money to go get that radio. I knew I shouldn't have got that radio, mm. but I, I stole it anyway. Right. Yikes. So, two weeks later, I'm in the park playing basketball. I see all of them coming, gated fence, only two ways out. I know I just can't run because I'm guilty if I run. 
Mm-hmm. But I have to go on the opposite side of the court just in case I have to run. Right. 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 So they come in, don't say a word to me, go on the other end of the court, start playing basketball, da-da-da. So as a kid, I'm like, oh, they don't know nothing. So about 30 minutes pass, I'm playing, and I see the ball roll on the other side of the court, and I turn my head, mm-hmm. and by the time I put everything together, they already had grabbed me. Oh, gosh. And, yeah, they put me down and put a knife in the middle of my arm. Oh, wow. As a kid, yeah, yeah. So it was just... Okay, stealing is not the way to go. Right. <laughs> I got to figure this out. How um, old were you? I was like 10 at the time, I think. Oh 10. Gosh. That's so scary. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was like 11, 11, 12. This okay. is close to the death of my mom, right? Okay. okay. So I remember like going up to John. I went to I, my, my friend rushed me to his mom's house and we went to the hospital, got it stitched up and everything. And I'm at the corner store where all the drug dealers are, and I'm just sitting there looking and saying to myself, like, life has to be better than this. Even at that age, I was still saying, life has to be better than this. And, wow. Um, I got introduced by the drug game. That didn't really work out because I couldn't just, you know, a lot of my friends were just dying in my face. So I just knew that wasn't the answer. Like, wow. I knew I couldn't go out like that. So I was just sitting there, and this is what changed my life a car pulled up at the store and it was the first time I saw drug dealers and people in the community react to a person, but it was a different type of reaction. They just, I mean, they got, he jumped out the car and just the whole block ran up to him. And I could just tell it wasn't, the car was new. It was flashy, but it was new. Most drug dealers have old cars fixed up. So you kind of knew it was, he wasn't a drug dealer. Hmm. He was super tall. And my first question, he had to walk through me to get to the store. My first question was, what do you do? Hmm. He, I play basketball. And I was like, man, basketball can get you all that. Like, it made perfect <laughs> sense to me, right? Right. And um, he was like, yeah, I play basketball. And then the other guy jumped out. And he was a little shorter. And everybody ran up to him. And I was just like, what do you do? He said, football. And it was Andre Rising and Glenn Rice, which became famous NBA players and oh football gosh. players, right? Oh, my gosh. Then, yeah, this is them out of Flint, Michigan, out of Northern, just won a state championship. And only way they were at Michigan, he was at Michigan State. And it was just amazing. And I was like, man, this is what I can do. And I remember I was just so excited. And I ran home to tell my mom. And, um, well, let me be honest. I went to Kmart first and stole a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I will be honest about that. That's exactly what I did. Because I was like, I got to get a basketball. Like, that was just you know, I saw it. Like, I can get right. out of this community with this basketball in my hand, right? Wow. And uh, I I ran and stole the basketball, and I'm just dribbling everywhere. I run home, and my mom's in the bed sick. And she would always have these, like, seizures. Oh, gosh. And I saw her, and I was like, she's gone this time. I just knew it. I knew it. I was like, she's gone. Like, I, I could just it's it. And I didn't bother her or anything. I just left. And I just went to the court and just started playing basketball. And uh, when I came home, they rushed her to the hospital. And eventually she died. And um, this is when my life started changing. And I remember um, everybody over to my dad's house because of her death. This was like the beginning of like when everybody got the news that she died. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't know if they told you, but my cousin is Pam and Paula McGee. For those of you who don't know, Omar's family is basically basketball royalty. His cousins, Pam and Paula McGee, were on the 1984 U.S. Olympic team that won gold in Los Angeles. 
Pam is a 2012 Basketball Hall of Famer and mother of JaVale McGee, who plays with the L.A. Lakers, and Imani, who suspended her basketball career to attend law school. Yes. The famous basketball players. Yes. They had came back from USC and they came down to the funeral. That was really my first time interacting with them, right? I just mm-hmm. I just knew they were, they were my cousins, but I just I didn't spend a lot of time. They were going to college. They were like, you know, USC doing amazing things in front of Jet Cover and everything. So I saw Pam and I said, I was so excited. I was like, Pam, I'm gonna play basketball. I'm gonna be a star. And she was like, Oh, that's good, Omar, that's good. And, da, 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 da. and she was like, How's your grades? And I was oh. like, Wait, I gotta go to school for this? Like, oh. It just didn't. It didn't dawn on me, right? I was like, I got to go to school to play basketball? And, man, you're talking about dreams deflate. Yeah, because you hadn't gone to school really at all. No, I haven't went to school at all, period. But nobody knew this because my mom would lie about everything. Now, this is the tripped out part about it, right? And this is how God works, right? I, when they were cleaning out my mom's house, they started finding the letters from the state. The state was about to take me. Oh, my goodness. Because I wasn't showing up to school. And they were like, what grade are you in? And I was like, I couldn't lie no more. I was just like, I have no idea. And they were like, when was the last time? So this is my, this is, this is my father's what moment. What? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, there is no record of you even going to school. Oh, and uh, they saw those letters. And the great thing was my brother, he, um, he got the, he got a job at, one of the first or second Home Depots in Atlanta at the time. This is when Home Depot was um, brunching off. And they shipped me down to Home Depot and lied and said I was in the eighth grade. And then that's how I started. Oh, wow. Getting my life. You can imagine the first day of class. I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was Spanish class in every class. It was just like a foreign language, right? So I had wow. to... You know, but my my dad was really great, especially when I came back from high school. The drug academic and the crack academic was like ridiculously crazy in our community. Like everybody was being um, addicted to crack, and then the, the drugs and the crack dealers were so so like it was just saturated. It just saturated our community. Mm. So. My dad realized with my gifts, he will always say this, with your gifts, I was my biggest fear was you getting a hold of drug money because you would have been the best. Mm. So what he would do is, after practice, fishing boat. Mm. If I didn't have practice, fishing boat. <laughs> so awesome. fishing with my dad was a big thing. He kept me away from the streets. Like, cause if I wasn't working at the shop with him, learning how to work on cars and learning how to run a business, I was on the fishing boat. So he didn't give me time to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to allow me to taste the drug money. He said that was his biggest fear. Wow. And it makes perfect sense. Now I used to be mad. Like, Dad, I want to hang out with my friends. No, let's go fishing. So I get it now. Wow. Smart dad. Oh, yeah. But you know what happens? Let me tell you what happens. I tell you, so these are the things that you pick up from the streets, and everybody has an ability and a purpose. They just have to be brave enough to explore it, right? Right. What I learned in the streets is I was able to learn how, like, none of my friends that I was skipping with in the streets would they knew how to read. But I would lie and say, like, things like, I would always act like I couldn't see. And I would say, like, man, what that sound I say? And you would say, uh, grocery store. And I would Mm. never remember it, right? Right. And then after you do that for so long, you learn how to put these words in 
sentence. You, when you read, you can put words in sentences because you understand the words, right? Because it right. makes sense. You just go along with it, right? So <clears throat> I was kicking up a habit with photogenic memory. I was able to see things that, you know, the average people didn't see because I was just born with that instinct or it was a survival skill. I can even say I was born with it. I had to develop that, right? Because that was the only way you, you know, if it's about to be a shootout, you have to see it before it happens and get out of there before anything. I mean, you, you pick up these things at a young age or you can tell when a when an enemy or another gang member or a cop is about to, you know, raid the block. Like, you, all these things you pick up as a kid wow. that you don't realize you have, right? And it's just actually reversing it and pointing it to a pos- in a positive direction. Yeah. I have the aim. I just have to change the target, right? Yes. And in um, school, my drive to play basketball and do something positive was just so amazing because I, I just didn't want to go back to that, mm. right? So I would just I would just read all day. My brother would just introduce me to black, powerful people. Who, and I would read like Martin Luther King books, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, just all these books and books and books. And I would just just read, 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 play basketball all day. No girls, no anything. I was just totally focused. And that's how I, you know, got my life back together. That is awesome. And you're, yeah, it's a lot more to it, but yeah. That really is awesome. And you're you're very smart that you were able to do that. That's You have a lot of um, giftedness and, and intelligence, apparently. Because <laughs> most, I don't think I could would be able to do that. That's amazing. And what do you do now? I own Posh Luxury Imports, which is um, a high-end exotic car rental place um, by the airport in L.A., Um, And also we sell everything from a Honda Accord to a Rolls Royce, but on the rental side, only exotics. Okay, that's awesome. I need to call you whenever I come to town and I need a car. No question. (laughs) Okay. The child roaming the streets of Flint, Michigan would probably never have dreamed of a future like this. But today, if you were to find yourself renting a car from Posh Luxury Imports in L.A., you might meet someone with a scar on his arm, and he would tell you that his scar changed his life. Everybody has a survival instinct. It just depends on how strong you are. And sometimes I hate telling my story because people use that as, see, he did it. You can do it. And it's like, no, because if you have a family of five, Mm -hmm. maybe three is strong. Two is going to need major support. Mm. Right. You're going to have that kid that have low self-esteem. Right. Don't want to go for it. And that's throughout life. So you can't use one example and put that on everybody. Right. Because everybody doesn't have what you have inside you. Right. Not to say that you're special and not as just I found my purpose a lot faster or I gained something going through my trials and tribulations because I have a lot of friends that just gave up and just became drug addicts because they couldn't deal with it. Mm. And so do, so, you, do you still, do you stay in contact with those people, the people in Flint? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Facebook okay. allows me to keep oh, yeah. in contact with everyone. I go back to Flint a lot, I, you know, for the water initiative. I'm on right. the board. I give back water and money or, you know, I'm in Flint a lot. I go back next week, actually, too. Oh, awesome. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very active in my city. That's so good. Okay, so you... um. You said that you got out of Flint by choosing an HBCU. And um, what is yes. HBCU? 
HBCU is historically black college. Oh, okay. And so that's and, what saved your life and got you back into school. Oh, no, 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 no. Atlanta saved my life. My brother oh, saved okay. my dad saved my life. I got back to school because of that. Okay. But I went back to Michigan to play basketball because that's where the mecca of, you know, the South is football and baseball. Right. So when I started my ninth grade year, I went back to Michigan, and that's when I started playing basketball and, and focusing on that. But okay. what I realized playing basketball that, you know, it's a 1% chance that you make it. Mm. And uh, I fell off a little bit because I was feeling myself, went into junior college. I didn't go to an HBCU right off. I went to play basketball at a junior college. And not having the confidence in myself to go to college, I'm like, man, this is kind of like, I don't know if I'm cut for college. Mm. But when I got to college, I was in practice one day, and I just remember running down the court like, Dude, I'm so smart. I'm I'm so much smarter than these guys, man. Like, what am I doing? Mm. Like, I just realized that, like, I'm working backwards. Like, am I going to waste time on something that I know will never manifest? I'm not a pro. I'm good, but I'm not a pro. Mm -hmm. So why am I wasting time? And then I realized that I'm pretty smart. Like, I was getting good grades and everything. I was a little intimidated by college because um, it was just told to us that you know, academics is not the way out. Mm. But when you, you know, cross that line and you notice that's not true, you're like, wait a minute, I can compete academically. Like, I can do this. And the world kind of opened up to me at that point. And then I remember this girl graduated um, from high school with me. Her name is Carmia Marshall. And everybody was excited about her going to Howard. So Howard is the mecca of black colleges. Right. It's our it's our Harvard. OK. Right. So if you look at Felicia Rashad, Debbie Allen, oh, yeah. um, the guy that plays Black Panther, Puff Daddy, like all the black elite goes to Howard University and Morehouse. OK. And Spelman. That's the top three. But Howard is the Mecca. And um, I talked to the coaches and they they heard of my skill set and I got in. And the minute I got in and got my acceptance letter, I quit and I went into school academics and film and communications and I had a lot of fun and that's what changed my life in a nutshell. Wow. That is awesome. You had a lot of self-determination. I had to. Yeah. And so, um, some of the things that, that helped you to have success, um, were decisions. You said that you've never smoked or had alcohol, um, mm -hmm. ever, as a result. Never. And so um, is that because of what you saw around you? Oh, yeah. Life? I mean, that was the only thing that motivated me. That's one thing I will say my mom did for me. She gave me a pure example of what not to do mm. through her own failures. Like, even as a kid, I would look and say, I would never be like that. Like, that was one thing I promised myself. Like, if I'm going to go out, I'm not going out like that. Wow. And I have a brother that drinks alcohol. And he can't He can't control it at all. Mm. Right. And then I have another brother that is great. And like he can drink a little bit and have a nice life, not addicted. Yeah. Right. So I have a 50 50 chance. So that's not a good chance for me to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a 50 50 50 chance. So that's not, that's not good odds for me. Yeah. You um, you are wise to you've made wise choices for yourself. I think that's awesome. 
I don't know if I don't know if um, Judy told you, but you know, I sent over three hundred African Americans to college, and you um, are kidding me. Nah, you can research. I started a school called Executive Prep Academy of Finance, and it's um, something I just wanted to give back and teaching kids all about um, economics, how to handle money, percentages, credit cards, everything it is to know about money um, on a basic level, because those are conversations we don't have in the poor community with our children. And they're shut out of society because they have made so many mistakes by the time they're 21 that, you know, they give up. And so that was just a way of giving back. Omar, that is amazing. Oh, wow. I'm like, I, I've not spoken to anyone who's done anything like that. That's so wonderful. You, That's what we have to do. We have to give back. Wow. Send that, the elevator down to pick up more. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, so what would you like people to take away from your story? Um, what would I like people to take away from my story is understand the true meaning of faith. Mm. Faith is stepping out without a stare in front of you, just knowing that you're following your passion and God has you. And understanding that if you believe in God and just move forward, everything will fall in place. Wow. It's never, you're not going to have a plan and he's going to give it to you. You just have to have faith and you have to go out there and accomplish your goals and understand that it's going to be risk. But if you have faith in him, you should know it's going to work. Yeah, You have to know it's going to work. Oh, and you know what's crazy? I'm going home to go fishing with my dad. That's where we're going home early to go fishing. That's my father day gift. Is we going fishing for three days straight? Oh, that's awesome! So, do you fish yeah. on lakes in Michigan? Yes, the Great Lakes. Okay. Yes, that's... we have tons of lakes. All of our water is not bad, just in Flint, Michigan. Okay, yeah, okay. So, tell me about that. What's what's happening in Flint as far as the water crisis? I always say. That the difference between Flint and a third world country is we have cement on the streets. Mm. It's really, really bad. And especially in the black community, it's just, it's terrible. Like when I go back into the community and give water to those kids and the people and those families and just see the rashes and, you know, the lid is effective because, well, I'm not going to say effective. It's just terrible because it's irreversible. So when these kids drink that water, they lose memory. They lose, you know, their ability to learn. It's just a lot of things that's taking place, and they're just destroying mm-hmm. a whole community without consequence. Right. That's devastating. Yeah, yeah. See your loved ones. Uh, and, I, and my sister, she stayed in a city where she has bad water, so I went to stay with her. And I just did not realize how much I used water out the faucet. Like, I was like, oh, my, like, I had to stop. I threw away, like, five toothbrushes because I'm just so used to Mm. turning the water and putting your toothbrush in there. But you have to, everything is with bottled water. You have to brush your teeth with bottled water. You have to, so I had to stop brushing my teeth in the bathroom because I'm so used to just turning on the faucet. Right. Like, even while I'm brushing my teeth with the water, I still turn on the faucet. Wow. So do you see any positive changes in that? No. Oh, wow. No. And it's been going on for like six or seven years now. Yeah. That is so disappointing. Yeah. It's only hit the national scene two years ago, but it's been going on long before that. Oh, that's so devastating to that community. Yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. So I try to give back as much as possible. I try to, you know, put myself on Instagram and make sure I'm on Facebook to make sure that, you know, 
my community see me as an inspiration and see that they can do the same thing and just try to give some light to the city as much as possible. That's awesome. Well, is there anything that we could do to help that community? Um, just spread the word and, and, and keep us in the fight. And okay. uh, I don't know. I can't even tell. I don't have the answer, so I don't, I don't know. Okay. I, I really don't know. I just, you know, I just don't know. I mean, support. One thing you can do is support our, I'm on a, we have a foundation called Flint for Flint where we provide um, the elderly um, the water machines because they can't pick up big cases of water. Yes. So we, de- we, we deliver um, cases of water and the machines to their house every month. Wow. So So they can't. The water that comes through their system, it is all bad. All bad. It's brown. And you can't wash your clothes with it, can no. you? No. So some people have water filters where they can at least take a shower and um, wash their clothes and things like that. Um, but like the people that can't afford $1,500, it's, it's a bad situation for them. That's, I'm so sorry. That is so wrong that. They don't have water. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I appreciate your um, giving back to your community. And, um, again, you have Posh is the name of your your car business in Los Angeles. Posh Luxury Imports, our Instagram is Posh Exotic Rentals. Okay. And the sales side is Posh Luxury Sales. Awesome. And you're at LAX. Is that right? No, I'm down the street from LAX. Down the street from Manchester. Okay, okay. Uh, Well, that is so wonderful. I thank you for your time. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share? Nah, that's it. Nah. Okay. That's my my little bitty story. Oh, you have a huge story. I think it's a wonderful story, and I thank you for sharing it. Um, And I can't wait for people to hear this. It's amazing. Thanks to role models and some old-fashioned grit. Omar made it from the pavement of a basketball court in Flint to a luxury car business in Los Angeles. Never underestimate the power of role models, especially fathers. But Omar's story also involves a decision that he had to make, the decision to follow in their footsteps. Well, you know, I would never never say what you would never be able to do until you really have to do it in your life, right? Right. Yeah, that's probably true. So uh, what would you say to your 15-year-old self? Um, I would say stay close to my dad as possible and listen to his words and use them as gospel because look at them as gospel because no matter how complicated life gets, the basics never change. Mm. Amen. And he keep it basic and he keep it simple and he's positive and he's definitely in my corner. And with his strength and his will, I know I can conquer anything that you put your mind to and you have passion for. That's awesome. So is your father um, still in Flint? Yes, my whole family is still in Flint. Oh, and so you'll get to see him next week. Yeah, I'm going home for Father's Day. Oh, I forgot it is Father's Day. That's awesome. We'll tell your father happy Father's Day. Yes. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So now he's super proud of me. You know, he come down and he saw the dealership, all the celebrity clients I have and uh, all the write-ups and everything. And 
Omar has followed the advice that he gave for his 15-year-old self. He sticks close to his dad. And no matter how complicated life gets, the basics never change. Once again, we'd like to thank Connie Blankenship with Douglas Elliman Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of Kavatha Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kavatha Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kava, learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.